Welcome to The Corey Lee Show, where our focus is on building leaders and transforming culture. My name is Corey Lee, and in each episode, I aspire to ignite something on the inside of you that encourages you to grow yourself and to make an impact on the world around you. Welcome to The Corey Lee Show. Welcome back to the Corey Lee Show, guys. This is going to be a great, great episode. Super excited about uh, the conversation you're about to listen into. Got my new friend, Scott LaPierre, here with us today. And just a bit about Scott. He is a teaching pastor. He is an author. He's a conference speaker. He's got an MA in Biblical Studies from Liberty University. Him and his wife, they have 10 children. That is good, good stuff. And they are passionate about homeschooling. And um, he's actually a former school teacher and army officer. And so, hey, Scott, welcome to the Corey Lee Show, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this, Corey, and, and this conversation and time with you and your listeners. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time out. And, uh, you know, Scott, I, I shared a little bit about what you're doing now, lead pastor, author, and uh, busy homeschool and all that good fun stuff. And that's kind of where you're at right now. That's where you are today. Take us on the journey. How did you get from where you were to where you are? Okay, great. Well, thanks for asking. I'm happy to elaborate on anything. So my wife and I grew up together in Northern California. Neither of us were Christians. We didn't grow up in Christian homes. And I uh, received an ROTC scholarship. I didn't have any military experience in the family, but was looking to have college paid for. And so went to Florida because they had a real good ROTC program there, got out of college. I became an army officer, uh, armor officer as well. So at, at Fort Knox with tanks. And then after I got out of the military, I really wanted to teach and coach. And I got my teaching credential, came back to California and was teaching and coaching at the elementary. Well, teaching elementary, but coaching up to the high school level, some wrestling. And then my second year teaching my brother unexpectedly died of a drug overdose and I was teaching with some, and it was just the two of us. He was 14 months younger than me. And we didn't know that he, we knew he struggled with drugs, but he was also in the military. He'd enlisted and he worked out. I mean, he looked great. So this isn't like your drug druggy and then alley or something. He's actually very muscular and, and fit, but he got addicted to pills. And so then some teachers asked me to go to church with them. They said, Hey, we lost, or excuse me, they said, our pastor lost his brother when he was about your age. You want to come and talk to him? And so I didn't, I don't know terms, you know, born again, regenerate, save, that's not on my radar. I'm just going because I'm struggling. <laughs> and interestingly, I thought it was going to bless my parents for them to hear that I was going to to get some help. So I go to this this church with them and I don't bring a Bible. And, you know, it's a nice, nice family church. They hand me a Bible when I walk in and this pastor starts preaching from the word, <clears throat> reads a verse and explains it, reads a verse and explains it, nothing fancy and just a life-changing moment for me where I thought, wow, you know, I can understand God's word. And so they had said, hey, come to come to our church to talk to our pastor because he lost his brother when he was about your age. Well, I didn't even get to talk to the pastor that, that Sunday and I was already looking forward to coming back the next Sunday. And so heard the gospel soon after that, uh, was saved. And then I had a heart. I, it was funny, my passion for teaching and coaching, I just found it plummeting. You know, I, I go in on the weekends, I'm in there in the evenings, you know, apparently I'm living a pretty boring life as a, as a bachelor. And so, and then it's like, suddenly I'm like, I don't, I'm not super thrilled with this anymore. Like I was before. And I'm, I'm super thrilled with Bible studies. I'm attended, I'm getting <clears throat> attending. I'm, in, I'm invited to, you know, lead a couple studies. And I'm looking forward to that more than I'm looking forward to anything else in my life at that time. 
And so, um, you know, and Katie and I, so anyway, Katie and I married, uh, there was a church that had a position for a part-time youth pastor. And I, it allowed me to keep teaching elementary school at the same time. And then I had a nice schedule with my students, right? I have summers off, they have summers off and holidays and so forth. And the church grew, they hired me full-time and this is all still in California. And my senior pastor was mentoring me. He knew I really wanted to preach. I'm not really a very good youth pastor, I don't think. You know, it seems like you, you want to be a good youth pastor, you got to stay up all night playing video games and eating worms. And that's not really something my wife and I liked doing. So I wanted to preach. And we found this this church in Washington that we really liked that was looking, had a high view of family and children, a lot of homeschool families. And we came here in 2010 and figured we'll spend our lives here. And so we've just kind of left it up to the Lord, what he wanted to do with chill. I mean, you know, people are always like, you have 10 kids. I can't believe that. I'm like, look, I can't believe I have 10 kids. You know, it's just <laughs> my brother and I growing up and my wife only had two siblings. And so we, some people say, you know, did you want to have a lot of kids? And I would say, I, I wouldn't word it that way. I'd say I wanted to have what God wanted me to have, you know, could have been three, five, seven. We just, and this isn't a commentary on what everyone else has to do, but we wanted to get, you know, to the end of our lives, feel like God built our family, his fingerprints are on it. And so this is Katie turned 42. So we, we have been wondering for the last couple of kids, if that'd be the last one. And so maybe this, this Hudson, we named him after Hudson Taylor, the, the famous missionary, maybe Hudson will be the last one. Uh, and if not, we'll have another one. We'll see. We just left, up, left it up to the Lord. Oh, that's amazing. So you just, you told me before we pressed record that the 10th one, that, so that's really recent. When, when was the 10th one? Yeah. So this is, I don't know when this airs, this is December 4th, but it was the end of, it was the end of October. And so he's a little over about five weeks old, was just looking at him this morning. You know, they changed so fast early on, as you you know, and yeah, so we're just feeling super blessed. Our ninth kid was George Mueller. I don't know if you've heard of George Mueller before. Yeah. (laughs) So we we were kind of looking at boys' names. We named my oldest son after my, after my father-in-law named our second oldest son after my dad and then named our third son, Noah. That means comfort. We, he was a comfort to us. And then it's like, boy, where are we going to go with this? And we're like, man, we like George Mueller a lot, you know? And then we have, and they're having another boy. And it's like, man, we like Hudson Taylor a lot, you know? And they're mm-hmm. friends in life too. Neat, neat, super. If any of your listeners never read their biographies, you want to, I mean, you're listening to a leadership podcast. You want to see what leadership looks like. Read about these two godly men. Yeah. I've got a, I guess, an affinity for, uh, I love reading the history of the church and uh, some great men and women of faith. And, and it's just good stuff. It just stirs your faith, right? It just, I mm-hmm. uh, love that. You know what I heard um, in your story right there is something you said about the pastor. It wasn't like um, showy or any, like anything dramatic. He just read like, read the word and the word transforms, right? His spirit is his truth. And it does something in you, right? It's like it, 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 it goes right to the heart, bypasses mm. the mind, right to the heart. And that's kind of what I heard in your story, how powerful that is. Mm. You know? Yeah. You, you nailed that brother. I'm, I'm trying to be quiet when you're talking. I felt like I was going to, going to interrupt you, but well, one <laughs> other, de- one other detail, uh, I was raised in the Catholic church and I wasn't a Christian at that time. And I, I hope I don't offend any of your ca- Catholic listeners, but 
I was convinced that the Bible is this taboo cryptic book that people can't understand. And mm. so then, you know, if you want to understand things or know things, you need to go to the priest or uh, you'll pray to Mary or saints or something. And, and so that, that's why that one of the reasons that was so dramatic for me was it was this paradigm shift where it's like, not only can I understand God's word, he is speaking to me through it. I still remember just vividly sitting there and thinking, wow, I am hearing from God himself through the scriptures. And then I'm going home and I'm just devouring the Bible. And I'm trying to tell other people, even Catholic family members, like, hey, you guys need to be reading the Bible for yourselves. You need to be learning this stuff. This is, you don't, you don't have to go to, you know, a priest and you can, God will speak to you and the Holy Spirit will awaken your heart. And so, and it wasn't, yeah, you're right. There was no dog and pony show. It was a, a small community church and just read of her expositional verse by verse preaching, which I'm still doing today based on what I first saw with that gentleman, that pastor. That's so awesome. And you know what, what I love, one of the things I personally, man, when you read the Bible, you, you get the opportunity to read it with the author, right? And that's, that's kind of what you're saying. <laughs> you, you've written a bunch of books and I could go on Amazon. I could buy a book from you and I could read it. And that's one thing. But another thing would be is if I, you know, I get your cell phone and say, hey, I'm reading chapter one. What did you mean by this right here in chapter one? Like me and you could I could actually converse with the author. But when you read the Bible, that's what you get to do. Right. Well said, brother. Well said. Man, love that. Well, um, hey, I want to I want to ask you because uh, you've mentioned you and your wife a couple of times that you you grew up there, that uh, neither one of you were were believers or anything like that. And you've grown together. You got 10 kids and you've got a passion for marriages as well. And and I do too. And um, man, I, I think I've heard this and I've said it on our podcast a couple of times. I've just heard it that we are now in the largest fatherless generation in history where fathers didn't go off to war. So we don't have fathers who are either not present for those listening. I'm pointing to my head, right? They're not mentally present or they're not physically present. And um, I, I would just love to, if you got anything to encourage men to to take up the responsibility to to be present and, and to be the husband that we're called to be, you got any advice or yeah. encouragement for us? Yeah, I, I absolutely do, Corey. I mean, that just touches a nerve that uh, is very significant to me. I, I came to the to Willing Christian Church and, you know, people come to church and they, they look shiny and everything looks good. And then when you're in ministry, you kind of get to see behind the curtain, there's hurting marriages and families there. So I, I started preaching on marriage at my church because I saw a need for there to be healthy, strong marriages. And so I'm convinced if there's strong marriages, there's strong families. If there's strong families, there's strong churches. We have strong churches. We have a strong society. And that's why it doesn't surprise me and shouldn't surprise anyone that the devil attacks marriages. You know, you because then you weaken marriages, you weaken families. You weaken families, you weaken churches, you weaken society. It's an incredibly successful approach. I, I think he's the enemy. The world is being very successful in destroying marriage, whether it's high divorce rate, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's homosexuality, I mean, you name it. But we can actually move a little further on that spectrum and we can say you want strong marriages, you need strong men, strong husbands. And and one of the reasons I say that is because women are largely responders. There, there's a verse, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, it's in Ephesians 5, the famous marriage passage. 
And it talks about Christ getting the church that he prepares for himself. But because it's, and I'll just, here's the verses. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And then this is it. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy without blemish. So it says Christ presents the church to himself. So the idea is Christ gets the church that he prepares for himself. But this isn't primarily, I mean, obviously plenty of passages primarily about Christ, but this is primarily about marriage. So we're to look past what Christ is doing with the church to see the marriage relationship. And so the idea is that just as Christ gets the church that he prepares for himself, so do husbands too largely get the wives that they prepare for themselves. God God has put in every woman a desire to have a man that she can look up to, that she can respect. And when a man is ready to follow the Lord, be a spiritual leader, he will find a woman who's thrilled with his conviction, his desire to pray. And, and I'll, I've never had a guy come to my office and say, oh, my wife doesn't want to pray with me, or my wife won't go to church with me, or my wife won't read the word with me. But guess what I hear all the time? Well, my husband won't pray with me. My husband won't read the word with me. My husband doesn't want to go to church with me. Um, you know, we know submission gets criticized. It's like a, it's almost, you know, people cringe. You say the word submission, even though it's, it's an abundantly clear command in scripture to wives and there's, there's qualifications on it. You know, things wives wouldn't submit to like sin or abuse. But with that said, people don't want to talk about submission. Pastors don't want to preach on it, but I'm telling you, Corey, I don't have women coming to my office complaining about having to submit to their husbands. I have women coming to my office complaining that their husbands won't lead. So I'll do marriage conferences. I'll do them across the country. And you just tell me if I'm talking too much. Before, yeah. And I'll, I'll preach a message. And I put a lot of emphasis which on men being spiritual leaders. One of the reasons I'm thankful for you, thankful for your podcast, your ministry on leadership, because that's what we need. We need men being leaders in the home and in the church. I don't mean dictators. I don't mean authoritative whether you want to call it servant leaders like Christ was, uh, that's a very fitting title. Men that'll pray, read the word with their families, ask for forgiveness when they, you know, do things wrong. <clears throat> sent Katie a message just yesterday. I said, I got to get the family together and apologize for not being gentler. I'm convicted about it. And so <clears throat> um, when I'm doing a marriage conference and I'm preaching about men being spiritual leaders, people come up to talk to me at my booth between messages. And I want to make myself available for that. And women come up and they don't, here's what they don't say. They don't say, oh, I listened to your third message on submission and that's so barbaric and I can't believe that God would tell wives to submit. I have women coming up saying, how can I get my husband to be a spiritual leader? How can I get him to lead? I listened to what you said and that sounds great. What can I do to see that in in my husband? And so that was what I was preaching on at my church because I'm I'm convinced you women will respond well. <laughs> and so like, as far as husbands getting the wives, they prepare for themselves. Let's say there's a guy that comes into my office and he wants to trash his wife to me. Maybe their marriage is struggling. And so he sits down across, uh, you know, on the couch and looking at me over my desk and starts telling me how miserable his marriage is and his wife. So this and that, and I don't know if he thinks I'm going to kind of reach over and put my hand on his shoulder and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, brother. That sounds terrible. So what he doesn't know is the worse he talks about his wife, the worse he looks to me, because I'm convinced that his wife probably wouldn't be acting that way. If he was praying with her, if he was reading the word with her. And so, you know, after all, cause you should, spend most of the time in counseling listening, especially early on as you're gathering information. 
And so I'll, I'll let someone, you know, a guy go on and on and on. And then, and then I'll turn to him and say, Hey, tell me what your time in the word with your wife has looked like. Tell me what your prayer time with her has looked like. Tell me, tell me how, when was the last time you gathered your family around God's word? And then it's like, why didn't you hear me tell you how my wife disrespects me, you know, or, and I'll say, yeah, I I listened to you tell me about numerous works of the flesh in your wife's life, but I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if you were a better spiritual leader, what fruit of the spirit we would see in her life. You know, we're seeing the contentions, anger, the things you're describing, but would we see those if you were washing her with the water of the word, sanctifying and cleansing her as, as Ephesians five talks about. And because wives are responders, if they have a husband, that's going to be loving, tender, gentle, forgiving, a wife is generally going to become more loving, gentle, tender, and forgiving. But you show me a guy that's going to be harsh and cruel with his wife, and you're going to see a wife who's going to probably become harsher and crueler herself. There's this one time, uh, it's this humbling to share on a podcast, but Katie and I were fighting or having an argument, and if you want to say, and she looked at me and she said, because she's listened to all my marriage conferences, and she said, you know, you like to talk about husbands getting the wise they prepare for themselves. And I was like, oh, man, I see where this is going. <laughs> and she's like, I wasn't as much like this or I wasn't like this before we got married. I'm this is I'm becoming more like this because of you and it, it hit me hard because it was true. There was, of course, my flesh wants to flare up and be like, oh, you're blaming me for the way you're acting. But it was it was a true statement. I've known Katie since high school. She And it was about, you know, being harsh or not being gentle. And she knew that she's had lost some gentleness or wasn't as gentle from being married to me because I have a more aggressive, it's one of my weaknesses, something I need to, to work on. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And that, that convicts me. Thanks for telling me that. That's something I'll, I need to be working on here. And so, yeah, we get the wise we prepare for ourselves. And so show me a guy that's going to be a strong, loving, spiritual leader in his home. And you're going to see a woman who's going to grow spiritually and become a godlier wife. Yeah, man, that's powerful. I, I think it's interesting. Um, a lot of men really like to focus on the, the verse before that in, in Ephesians, right? Of like, well, wives, submit to your husbands. But then we don't like to look at the, the verse that you you just read right there. Mm-hmm. Right? Man, that's um, and that's good. And so what I heard in there, what you're saying is, you know, us, us men as spiritual leaders of our homes, is get in the word, get in the word with our family, pray over our wives and man, lead, lead them well. Um, leading is, is I think sometimes it's just me thinking out loud. Sometimes people don't like to lead because they don't want to bear the responsibility of that. It's easier to point fingers and tell people what they should do instead of bear the weight of responsibility that comes along with, with action, you know? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's just some thoughts, but as a guy who may be listening and maybe they're in that, that spot with the guy that you were talking about, right. They were, they were there. Maybe that's them. They're, they're mm-hmm. struggling with that. First thing you would tell them what was the first, first thing that they could do. Yeah. I'd say, Hey brother, are you, do you want to begin the day in prayer with your wife or do you want to conclude the day in prayer with your wife? Or do you want to, when would it be convenient for you to gather your family around the word of God? Cause I really think it begins with a devotional relationship with Christ. And mm-hmm. I mean, if we talk about leadership or submission, wives have a much easier time submitting to a godly man. And so the godly or a man, a woman is afraid to submit for understandable reasons. You know, my husband's got a submission deals with 
decisions. And what I mean by that is if a woman came to me and she said, well, I would submit to my husband if I agreed with him, she's telling me she doesn't understand submission because submission Mm -hmm. is in place for when a husband and wife don't agree. It's like with my children. You know, if I tell my children, hey, go play outside, that's they don't have to submit to me. They want to do that. If I say go clean your room or do your chores, that's submission. So submission is entirely in place for when a husband and wife don't agree so that the relationship can go forward, right? So you're not going to find a guy who's going to encourage husbands to value their wives' thoughts more than me. If a guy comes to talk to me at church and he's like, you know, Pastor Scott, what should I do here? What should I do there? I'm, one of the first things I'm going to say is, what did your wife just just happened yesterday? A guy came to talk to me. I listened for a long time. And I said, hey, brother, what did your wife say about this? And, for, and he had talked to her. And he shared her thoughts. And I said, I, th- I think that sounds good. That's good counsel. Now, if he says, I haven't talked to her yet, I'll say, well, I mean, that's the helper. Help me. God's given you Genesis 2.18, not good for man to be alone. And so I'd highly encourage you, you know, second only to God's word and the Holy Spirit to be value- valuing your wife's thoughts and counsel. Now, with that said, when a husband and wife have talked at length and the husband's still convinced we should do this and the husband, the wife is convinced we should do that, you know, do you flip a coin or paper, rock, scissors? I mean, God's word says at that point, the husband becomes the decision maker and the wife puts herself behind him and supports that decision that's made. So that's the that's the reason for submission. But a woman obviously, you know, does, when she has to submit, she believes her husband's making the wrong decision, right? And so there's fear. I mean, in 1 Peter 3, it talks about you'll be a daughter of Sarah if you submit without terror is actually the word that's used there. So it can be terrifying for women. Because it's like, what if my husband makes the wrong decision? What if we can't eat? What if he loses his job? What if we're not supposed to go to that church? What if we shouldn't move there? What if, (laughs) you know? And so how much easier is submission going to be for a woman when she sees that her husband is in prayer? You know, when she knows that he reads the word, when she knows he's active in the body of Christ. And so I'm not saying that a wife's submission is conditional on a husband's spiritual maturity, just as I wouldn't tell a husband that his love for his wife, right? There's no if. It doesn't say, husbands, love your wives if your wife's this great godly woman. It doesn't say, you know, submit, respect your husband if or submit your husband if. So these are unconditional commands. But with that said, just as a wife can make it easier for her husband to love her, right? Like you think in Proverbs, all those proverbs about the husband, the wife's nagging, who makes him want to go dwell on the corner of a rooftop or go live out in the wilderness. I mean, that's a tough woman to love. Yeah. You know, I've there's some wives I've looked at. I'm not kidding, Corey. And I've seen some couples and I saw the way the wife was acting. And in my mind, I thought, man, that'd be a tough woman to love. You know, I just I can <laughs> I'm thankful that's not my wife. And so yeah. a wife can make it easier. She can be more lovable. And a husband can make himself more respectable, make it easier to follow him and, and submit to him. Uh, a wife's submission is going to be a lot easier when she believes her husband's a spiritual man that's seeking the Lord, you know? And so that's times when Katie and I, she has thought like coming to take this pastor in Washington, I was concerned about doing it because I had a nice, safe uh, associate pastor position in California. That's where I went on full time. That's what I was kind of talking about earlier before coming to Washington. In this church in Washington, that was pretty small because a lot of people had left. They even told me, you know, they were short on money. They weren't sure how long they'd be able to pay me if the church didn't grow. And Katie's like, "We, sh- I'd really like to see us go there. I want to see us go to Washington. I think it, it'll be a good fit, you and the church." And I think it'll it could thrive under under your leadership. That's the kind of encouragement you know my wife's given me. But there's a point she said, you know, this has to be your decision, Scott. 
I, I love you. I trust you. I think you're, I think you love the Lord. I think you're a prayerful and a spiritual man. And so you need to make this decision. I've told you what I think. And, and so when a wife does that, I mean, I don't know how many women listen to this show, but when a wife does that, that, that can almost be crushing for a husband, have that kind of responsibility on his shoulders. But really, Corey, there's a lot of husbands and they don't have that responsibility on their shoulders. So they're too, their wives are too busy trying to lift that mantle from their husband's shoulders and put it on their own shoulders. You know, you see this controlling women, controlling wives. And so one of the biggest problems in the church, I think, is controlling women married to passive husbands. Mm -hmm. And so when you've got women that are trying to constantly control what their husbands do, their husbands never feel that responsibility when their wife, you know, puts her life and her children's lives in his hands and says, I need you to do what's best for this family. And I'm going to support you, whatever you decide. I mean, when, when my wife tells me that, which she has a handful of times, that's like, man, I better, I better have my act together. I better be a prayerful guy. I better be in the word. I better get some counsel from other godly men. But if a, if a man thinks that it doesn't matter what he does because his wife's not going to support him anyway, then don't be surprised. Wife shouldn't be surprised if the husband doesn't take his role very seriously because he doesn't feel that he doesn't feel that weight of responsibility on his shoulders. Hmm. You said something really powerful right there. You mentioned one of the biggest challenges you see in the church right now is passive husbands controlling wives. And man, I think you summed it up 100%. And as I was listening to you, uh, man, it just makes me so grateful for for my wife. I was just thinking about so many moments where I have these, Scott, I have brilliant ideas. I'll tell you, they're great. They are brilliant, man. Like world-changing ideas. And uh, just going to her uh, and, and sharing those ideas and having those conversations, she up levels the things I think about and she actually makes them better or she'll call me out on the things that aren't very good. And um, something else you mentioned in your story right there about how you weren't really interested in or you didn't think about going to Washington. And there have been moments where I've stood on kind of like that standing on the line of um, uh, that toe in the line of comfort. And stepping into the unknown and what you know uh, you need to do and that fear, that that fear that may hold you back and talking with my wife. And it's her belief in me and her confidence that actually caused me to step over that line and take the courage, man. That's so powerful. So I absolutely love that, Scott. And I love what you said. Passive husbands controlling wives is the biggest issue in the church. And let, let me let me say, let me ask you this, right? So let's say you've got the two become one and they're they're on the same page and they're trying to do their best. They're leading each other well. They're leading their families well. And, you know, they want to raise um, not just good kids. They want to raise amazing adults who are making an impact yeah. in community. And, and um, you know, this is... Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now, those kind of things. Any advice on families who want to do it right and they want to do it in this generation? They want to make impact in this generation, but also carry that throughout the generations. Any any thoughts or advice on them leading there in this time? Yeah, I think that's a real good question, Corey. Really applicable. I, there's a lot of access to sin or evil that our children have that it, even when I was growing up, there's a lot of wickedness our our kids are being exposed to that the two of us weren't, you know, when we were growing up. Or e even if those evils, let's say homosexuality were uh, around, I mean, you just got to go, you know, a few chapters after the flood to Genesis 19 to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know it's always been there. But in terms of the acceptance or even celebration of it, this is this is new. When I was growing up, I mean, if someone was homosexual or struggled with that, they weren't going to talk about it. Now it's it's promoted and 
And so our kids are growing up in a world where they're being bombarded by wicked wickednesses. And we have a responsibility as parents to, to do our best to protect them. And that's difficult. You know, my kids are getting older. We've got a few teenagers now. We've given them phones. One of, one of my kids just came out to the, the office this morning and he said, can you turn my computer on? And then when they want their phones turned, I, I turn them on. I have the controls for that with my phone. They use their computers for, for schoolwork. And I'm just using this as an example that I think we have a responsibility uh, to be as the shepherds of our families to be determining what our children have access to. And, so, and I, you know, there's a spectrum and I'm not sure that we're doing everything right. You know, we're always trying to avoid two ditches. The Christian life is a frequently a pursuit of trying to avoid two ditches. You know, we typically spend the swing, the pendulum one extreme or the other. And so uh, for us, we, our kids can watch stuff. I mean, we have, we have a television, they have, they have laptops they use. And, and I know some Christians, they don't have televisions They're They, their kids don't really watch anything. And so we're, we need to make sure though, if our kids are watching stuff, listening to it, that we're familiar with it and it's acceptable. We have determined the holiness for our homes and what is allowed in. And when I say we, I mean men. And when I said that, I don't even primarily mean wives because as husbands or fathers, as the spiritual leaders of our homes, we're the ones who must determine the holiness and what's accepted into them and what's not. That means we determine what's acceptable music, movies, television, language, whether something in, you know, Ephesians four, not, not course jesting, if we think it's crude and that, and I'm, don't listen to this and think that, oh, this means, you know, Scott Lapierre's kids are all just perfectly holy. And no, we're, we're dealing with, Hey, that, that dress is too short, or I don't like the language they used. And we had our vision as your kids get older and you know, this too, you have this vision for your kids, but as they're, as they're getting older, you know, by God's grace, they become Christians, but even if they become Christians, they're not always making all the decisions that you like. They're not, whether it's the way they do their hair, even or the, the way they dress, the way that the, sometimes socially, the, the company that they keep. And so we have to be familiar with what our children are being exposed to and helping shepherd them through bad decisions into good ones. And so the, the conclusion Katie and I have come to is that we, uh, well, let me say this. I've known some incredible parents way better parents than than me and we've seen them have a child go off the deep end and so when i talk to parents who have a rebellious child an unbelieving child apostate child i don't assume that's the parents fault because i we have some families in the church with a lot of kids and they have a bunch of great kids and there's this one kid that just went off the deep end and so katie and i knowing that could happen god forbid but it could we at least don't want to feel like we were responsible for it. And so that, so if our kids do something, uh, rebel against the Lord later in life, after they move out, that's grievous, but it's exponentially more grievous when you feel like they did it because of something like, let's say there's some son that gets addicted to pornography. Maybe his wife leaves him, you know, this young guy grows up in the home and he, he gets married and then he's he's addicted to pornography and his wife leaves him or something. Well, if that father was looking at pornography, he needs to feel like, how much am I to do with this? How much is this? Did this trickle down? So there's a lot of good reasons as a father to rip our eyes away from things, to be in the word, to be in prayer, because we want to see those same things with our children. And so 
The other thing, and I think I think this is really important. I think that's why David was such a bad father. I mean, David's this great king, and we're talking about leadership, and it's like, how could Israel's greatest king and one of the best leaders in the in the hit in scripture, along with probably Moses, um, be a poor father, be so passive in his home? And I suspect it probably had to do with his sin and his inability to parent his children because of the sins that he'd committed. I don't know if he'd feel like a hypocrite, you know, and, and sure enough, he sees his, his sins and his children. I mean, he, if he takes a woman that doesn't belong to him, that's what Absalom did. That's what Adonijah did. Um, he murdered a man. Absalom murdered Amnon. Uh, he gets, David got a man drunk. Absalom got Amnon drunk. And so David, had, it must've been painful to see his sins in his, in his sons. And so when we are going to, it's not, you're not hypocritical to, hold your children to a standard that you currently hold that you didn't hold in the past. And so there's things I wasn't, I wasn't raised as a Christian. I don't need to be a sin flasher and talk about all the, all the sins I've committed in my life, but I, I lived with a girl in in college and after college. And so you can, you know, figure out what that means. And, and, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to talk to my boys about purity, yeah. it, but I would be a hypocrite if I talked to my boys about purity when I'm not being pure. So we're only being hypocrites if we're holding our children to a standard that we don't presently hold. And we can tell our children, we can say, hey, I want, I don't want you to go through the same trials that I went, struggles, temptations. I want better for you than for me. And so, and that the other thing is then when we, when we're impatient or when we're harsh, or if we tell our kids we're going to do something, we don't do it. You know, bad parenting is making excuses. Good parenting is, you know, I was wrong. Forgive me. Um, I shouldn't have talked to your mother like that, or I told you I was going to take you there and I didn't. And that's disappointing. And we're all busy. I mean, we can make excuses and say, you know what? I didn't take you there, but do you see what's going on in my life? Do you see how many things? I mean, kids don't care about that, but, and that doesn't diffuse aggression. But when you say, you know, I, I know I told you I would take you there and I'm, I didn't, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And what can I do to make that up for you? Uh, Make that up to you. You know, if if a man yells at his wife, in front of his kids, you need to get your kids together and you need to say, I know you love your mother. I should not have talked to her, yelled at her like that. Please forgive me. That was probably hard for you. And, and tell your kids things like, hey, you know, daddy needs the gospel too. He needs Christ. Um, we preach the gospel to you guys, but you, you, daddy's a sinner just as, as much as you guys are. I need the gospel as much as you guys do. Let your children see that kind of humility and then it will prevent future bitterness. I generally think children become bitter or resentful toward parents, not because the parents did something wrong, but because the parents would not take responsibility for what they did wrong. And there's a mm-hmm. world of difference between those two. Cause we all, what, what parent can say, Oh, my kids love me because I never did something wrong. We're all failing as parents at, at different times. The question is, what do we do when we fail? Do we, does our flesh flare up? We justify blame shift. You know, I mean, you're driving with your kids and they're screaming in the backseat or something and you miss a turn and then your kids are, you know, you do say, well, I want to miss that turn if you guys would have been quiet or something like that. I mean, that's immature. That's not what godly spiritual men do. So just, yep, mate, that was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. We're going to be late to this, whatever. I told you I take you to pizza or something like that. So humility. I've never, I, I have never apologized to my kids. I have never gotten them together and asked for their forgiveness where they had anything but a great response because mm-hmm. that's, it's always very endearing. Your kids will be the first ones to want to, you know, love you and hug you when they see that kind of behavior. But if they see blame shifting excuses, then that's just going to build. Re-
Yeah. Man, that's so powerful. For you. Yeah, so powerful and so true. And uh, man, I, I, the times that I've uh, humbled myself to uh, apologize to the, to the kids and even to my wife, it is not easy, right? It is not easy. But exactly what you said, there has never been a time that it hasn't had a good, a positive response, man. That is mm-hmm. so powerful and, um, and so good too. And I, I love your analogy that, we are walking. Nobody's got to figure it out. I love that you say you got 10 kids and you're trying to figure it out. too. Yep. Right? Like Amen, we brother. are uh, trying to figure it out. Nobody has, has all the, the monopoly on how to do that. And um, I, I think there's some freedom in what you just said right there, because I know there's probably some parents out there that are listening to this. And I know my mom is one of those that, mm-hmm. that maybe they've, they did the best they could, but they still had the child kind of go, go that route. And uh, I think there's some freedom in that, that it's not always the, like, you can't bear the weight of that responsibility uh, too. Right. And so, yeah. And, um, and I hope people are sorry, brother. I know to do. Yeah, you're good. Go for it. Well, I, I would just encourage people in that situation to throw themselves into the book of, of books of Kings and Chronicles and familiarize themselves with the kings of Israel and Judah. Well, mostly Judah. There weren't really any good good kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. But, but you know, the wickedest king in the Old Testament was Manasseh. Reigned mm-hmm. 55 years, had the longest reign sacrificed his sons to Moloch. Just in, I mean, if there were there was nothing, no idol he couldn't worship. I mean, he's putting idols in the temple. He built his own idols. Just said a very wicked man. And he was Hezekiah's son. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like he came from one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. And so yeah. if I said to you, did good kings have did good kings have good good sons or bad sons? You say yes, because there's some kings that had and then it's like, did bad kings have good kings for sons or bad kings? And you say yes again. It's just it doesn't always work. I mean Proverbs, one of the reasons people struggle is they think Proverbs is a Proverbs is filled with promises or guarantees, but it's generalities. You know, train up your children in the way there's people that have looked at train up your child in the way he or she should go. And when he's old or she's old, she will not depart from it or he won't depart from it. And they think that's a guarantee. And then they have, you know, a child that goes off the deep end and they're like mad at God. But generally, that is the case. Generally, train up your children the way they should go. And generally, they'll go that way. And even when the examples I talked about, I look at a family that's got, you know, a handful of kids. And most of those, the one, one kid went off the deep end. But most of the other kids or the rest of the kids have all gone the way that they were raised and trained. And so generally, what Proverbs says is the case. But no, you can't beat yourself up because children are free moral agents and we can't reach into their hearts and control them and and change them. But this also doesn't minimize our responsibility, you know, to take it back to toward the beginning of this of this interview about being fathers and husbands. I mean, we need to be praying with our families, reading the word with them, preaching the gospel to them. I never would have imagined, Corey, because I'm more of a teacher by nature and I enjoy teaching. I enjoy explaining. I enjoy clear communication. And so when I'm opening the Bible with my family, I'm looking forward to teach something, but I cannot believe how many times I have revisited the gospel and went over the gospel with my kids. And it's a very, very frequent topic. And I I would say anytime you feel the Bible study is heading toward the gospel, just embrace that that, uh, detour. Because, uh, you know, generally, you know, guys will tell me, they'll say, well, I don't know how to read the Bible with my family. And I'm like, look, if you can read, you can read the Bible with your family. You know, that's what's necessary. 
And if there's any wives listening, there's a lot I can say to wives too, because there's women who want their husbands to be spiritual leaders, but they might not be the encouragers they should be. And there was this guy that came up to me at this conference this one time, and we project ourselves on others. So you're a confident guy, you're a leader. Um, so you, you probably wouldn't think this any more than I did, Corey, but here's what happened. I'm at marriage conferences. I'm talking about men being spiritual leaders, praying, reading the word with their families. And I'm having a lot of guys come up to me privately and they're like, I'm afraid to do this. Well, I'm, cause I can get up behind a pulpit. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I see guys that build houses, work on cars. I'm like, you give me a power tool and I'm probably going to hurt someone, you know, hurt myself or someone else. So I look at these guys, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, there's a lot of guys in my church. They'll build their houses. They'll do all these wild things with automobiles and that's easy to them. And they look at what I'm doing behind the pulpit and that scares them because we project ourselves on others, right? Well, I learned pretty quickly that there are a lot of guys who are terrified to pray and read the word with their families. And so because of that, they need wives that encourage them, that support them, that tell them, thank you for doing this. Wives that can't, don't expect a John MacArthur sermon or Billy Graham crusade every time their husband opens the word. Wives that just say, you know, I, I've told wives, I, I was invited to speak at this ladies conference and about wives respecting their husbands. And I told these ladies, I said, I don't care if your husband fumbles every word he reads, and I don't care if he can't answer any question and he is confused by the verses. You look him in the eyes and thank him for being a godly man that reads his Bible with the fan. I don't care if he's in Leviticus, burnt offerings have never been so exciting to you. You know, you look at, put him, your hand on his leg and look him in the eyes and say, I've wanted this for a long time and I feel very blessed to be a wife who has a husband that reads a word with me. I, this is no small thing to me. You know, a lot of wives need to hear that because they don't know the effect that they have, the influence they have on their husband's spiritual leadership in the home. But with that said, the husband still needs to be that leader. That And so a guy will say, well, I don't even know where to begin. I'll say, brother, what's a, what is a book you enjoy? Then you start at chapter one, verse one, and you just go around there. And there's nothing fancy with our Bible studies. I mean, our kid, I'm not joking. Whoever is to my left reads the first verse. And then the child after that reads the next verse, if the child's old enough to read. And then the next kid reads the next verse. And we're just going around the room like that. And sometimes we talk about the verse and sometimes we just move to the next verse. I say, Hey, any thoughts or questions? And if there's no questions, we just move to the next verse. And sometimes, and it's, it's not like my kids, you know, there's pastors, kids, but this doesn't mean that they're all sitting there. Oh, let's go, daddy. We've only been studying the Bible two hours. We can keep going. It's not like that. I mean, they're in the middle of things. They're not thrilled when we do family worship. They're not always thrilled to come and join in. When I say, you know, go get your Bibles, I'll tell you one thing. When I say go get your Bibles and there's one of our kids that hymns or haws, my wife jumps in there and it's all over that kid. We'll chew them up and be like, hey, you know, finger in the face, be like, you need to appreciate what your dad's doing. You need to be thankful for this. You better not sigh. You better not roll your eyes. And so, you know, that's that's what I I think wives need to to do to help their husbands feel encouraged to do these things, to be those spiritual leaders. Man, Scott, that's so good, man. And I appreciate everything that you've shared. I think it is. Man, such a powerful message and a needed message uh, for me and for us uh, today. And hey, Scott, if somebody's listening, they want to find out more about you, they want to read your books, they want to connect with you, like what's the best place for them to be able to do that at? Yeah, thank you very much, Corey. And I'm always glad to, to hear from people. That'll just be my website, scottlapierre.org. You'll have the link in the in the show notes. If people want to find my books, they can go to Amazon, find them all there. My marriage book and workbook. Um, my website's kind of the hub. You can find my messages 
messages or conference messages or my books from there. Uh, I really enjoy doing marriage conferences. They're one of my, one of my passions and I've got my elders. I don't know if I'd say I, they support me doing marriage conferences, which is very gracious to them. I get to do about six to eight of them per year. So if anyone's interested in hosting one of my marriage conferences and just, you know, reach out to me th- through my website. And if I can pray for anyone or answer any questions, they can, they can, there's a contact page on my website as well and be glad to give them if money's tight you know i I didn't write books to make money if money's tight i can give people copies of my books for free i just want to see marriages and strengthened and christ exalted so yeah and that is so good and i definitely have that in the show notes so definitely connect with scott and seriously if if uh you wanting uh scott to come in i know we have a lot of um pastoral leaders that listen and if you're if you're looking to host an event it's like i don't even know where to start hey here is your guy right here right (laughs) and uh and so check out his book connect with him and hey thank you guys for taking a listen thank you scott for coming on such a powerful uh word there and uh, truly encouraging i think and so hey i appreciate you guys for taking a listen make sure you like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with any of the latest episodes of the Corey lee show and make sure you share this i'd love to get this this kind of content into the hands of people all over the country all over the world of of men stepping up and women encouraging and and the two become one i think it's uh, much needed in society today so Thank you guys for taking a listen. Hope you have a great day and God bless. Three, two, one. Okay. Thanks for joining me today. I hope I have added value to you. And if you have found value in this episode, let me know. Drop a comment and make sure you share with a friend or family member. See you next episode.